Hello, survivalists, and welcome to another episode of the Crux True Survival Stories. Julie, this is an incredible story. I cannot wait to share it with you. I can't wait to hear it. I've gotten just a taste of it, and it sounds like it's going to be a good one. We are your hosts, Casey McIntosh and Julie Henningsen. Today, we are going to be telling a story per the request of my friend, Bob Hayes. Shout out to you, Bob. He just couldn't get enough of this story, and rightfully so. It's pretty insane. In today's episode, we're diving deep into an incredible survival story that captured the world's attention. Four indigenous children aged 13, 9, 4, and 11 months old disappeared into the heart of the Amazon jungle after a plane crash, showcasing the remarkable power of human resilience. This happened this year. Imagine this incredible scene, the rescue mission in Southern Colombia over a lush green rainforest with nowhere in sight to land a helicopter. Men rappelling out of the chopper to the forest floor to hoist the children one by one, exhausted and dehydrated up to the wings of safety. I can't wait to hear this story, Casey. I remember when it was in the news briefly. There were quite a few news stories about this just because it's completely shocking to imagine four children alone with their own devices in a jungle that is just immense with plenty of dangers as we'll get into in a minute. Today we're stepping into the depths of the Amazon rainforest, an enchanting yet enigmatic expanse that has intrigued explorers, scientists, and adventurers for centuries. The Amazon rainforest is a sprawling and awe-inspiring masterpiece of nature it's often referred to as the lungs of the earth. So this prolific wonderland, if you want to call it that, blankets 7 million square kilometers, shrouding the Amazon basin of South America. Within this expanse, there is 5.5 million square kilometers that have rich emerald green hues of the rainforest itself. Stretching across nine nations and crossing diverse landscapes, the Amazon holds a mesmerizing mosaic of ecosystems, each teeming with unparalleled diversity of life. 60% of the Amazon is in Brazil, and Peru, Colombia, and other nations also boast a corner of this majesty. There are 390 billion trees standing in the Amazon, belonging to 16,000 distinct species. That's amazing so many trees and species yeah i know it's crazy so as one might imagine the weather in the amazon includes an exorbitant amount of rain and it's also hot and humid the rain occurs year-round the temperature in the amazon in colombia ranges between 71 degrees fahrenheit or 22 degrees celsius and 88 degrees fahrenheit or 31 degrees celsius and it's rarely lower than 67 degrees or above 93 degrees Fahrenheit. Pretty predictable. That, that yeah. sounds like a pretty nice climate, pretty predictable. It does sound like a nice climate in some ways, but in May, it's typical to get 6.9 inches of rainfall. And the average rainfall in May is 20.1 days of the month. Most days are raining. Mm. Also, the humidity, I found this from a website called bmpcolumbia.com. They reported that humidity level is, quote, muggy and oppressive. 
and varies little throughout the course of the year, remaining at 98%, which is astounding. That sounds less comfortable. Yeah, agreed. (laughs) Right. I don't know if you've spent very much time in any humid climates, but that is pretty exhausting to be surrounded by that much moisture all the time. Yeah. Yeah. It's like weight, oppressive weight. Another thing too, is that nothing dries out when there's that much humidity. You know, you're always wet. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I found it interesting that the Amazon has a large population of people. There's over 30 million people from 350 different ethnic groups. And these ethnic groups are further divided into nine different national systems with 3,344 formally acknowledged indigenous territories. So tons of diversity, it sounds like, not only in the forest, but in the cultures. I'm sure it was exciting for the four children, and their names are Leslie, she was 13, Selene, 9, Tien, 4, and Kristen, 11 months old, to embark on this journey with their mother, Magdalena, and an uncle from an Amazonian village of Aquara to the town of San Jose del Guaviare. The family are members of the We Toto Indigenous group. They were going to see their father who'd fled the area because he had been threatened by a guerrilla group. He was worried that the group was going to try to recruit his children. So I'm not really sure why they didn't go with him to begin with. But they boarded the single engine Cessna 206 the morning of May 1st, 2023, heading northward. The pilot, Hernando, communicated with air traffic control around 7.43 a.m., informing them of engine failure, as stated by aviation authorities. Shortly thereafter, the aircraft disappeared from the radar and descended into a densely vegetated region about 110 miles from its intended destination. I wanted to add that during the search efforts, details regarding the history of aviation in this region were unveiled. Indigenous activists have been unsurprised by the plane crash. They've been accusing the airlines of operating in the Amazon and putting profit above safety. And the Colombian government failed to uphold any safety standards. The indigenous advocacy group called OPIC stated, quote, the Colombian state is responsible for this tragedy and all those similar, alleging an absolute negligence of controls and procedures for air safety in the area Mentioning also that indigenous people in the region have limited options for travel and may need to risk their lives to travel when travel is necessary. That's not cool. Right. Hopefully they don't have to travel very often. I would imagine it's not terribly common for those indigenous people to travel, but maybe I'm wrong. Or maybe most of the time they're traveling by foot. I'm not sure. Or boat. Canoe, I know, is a popular mode of or common mode of travel. So much water. Hopefully that's safer, but I would imagine that there's probably risks involved doing that as well. Yeah. Search crews began to look for the plane crash and it was led by the Colombian military. Due to bad weather, it took them 16 days to locate the Cessna, along with the remains of the deceased, which included the pilot, Magdalena, and the children's uncle. Were there only the six passengers on the plane to begin with? Correct. There was evidence of children remaining at the crash site, which included a makeshift shelter, some hair ties, a baby bottle, and there were also some small footprints. I would imagine that this left a feeling of 
eerie anticipation and fear in the hearts of the rescuers, but also they were hopeful because they assumed that the children were alive since they didn't find them there. Columbia's military took pains to highlight its search and rescue efforts to the public. The Air Force General Pedro Sanchez emphasized that over 150 uniformed personnel were deployed to, quote, saturate the jungle. As he stated on the military's Instagram page about three weeks after the children disappeared, the Colombian Army worked with, in collaboration with over 70 volunteers from local tribes, which was a pretty inspiring movement because the government apparently doesn't get along with the indigenous people a lot of the time where there's disagreements between them. This united cause, everybody came together to look for these kids. Right. President Gustavo Petro stated, quote, the work between armed forces and indigenous communities who obviously know the jungle better than we do, that work was successful, end quote. The military also shared a map outlining the operational area and the region covered an expanse of jungle that spanned over 300 square kilometers or 115 square miles. To picture the size of this area, imagine the island of Manhattan and multiply this by six. Oh, that's big. I was thinking needle in a haystack, but the Air Force General said it was like finding a flea in a huge rug that moves in unpredictable directions. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yuck. They did focus a lot of their efforts in the area surrounding the plane wreckage. Rescuers attempted to use some clever approaches, which included attempting to communicate with the children using the recorded voice of the grandmother speaking their native indigenous language. The grandmother said, Leslie, this is your grandmother. I'm asking you a favor. You must remain calm and stay put. I just think that's brilliant because one of the things I know about lost kid behavior is that kids tend to maybe even hide from rescuers because they're scared and they're nervous and though they're trained to be weary of adults. So what a great idea to have a familiar voice. And can you imagine if you saw these military men, I'm sure they're all wearing their military garb and probably look pretty intimidating. Most of them are probably men. Um, there was some mention that potentially they were kind of hiding from the military and that this mm -hmm. message from the grandmother encouraged them to stay put, which was ultimately what did leave lead. Sorry. What ultimately did lead to their discovery. That's so cool. Right. These rescuers were working 16 hour days, risking the dangers of rainforests, including all the critters. Soldiers were dropping boxes of food around in the jungle and helicopters were lighting up the jungle floor at night so they could continue to search. Meanwhile, the relatives of the missing children held on to the belief that they were going to be okay because they're familiar with the jungle terrain and they were remaining optimistic about survival. The children's uncle, Fidencio Valencia, expressed this sentiment in an interview with a Columbia TV outlet saying, perhaps they're concealing themselves. Maybe they're not aware that a search is underway. After all, they're just children, but we maintain our hope that they're alive and have access to water as water signifies life. Mm, so simple and so true. Right? The initial few days of frantic searching turned into weeks and then one month and then a week after a month and the rescuers hung on to hope and belief that children were still alive as time continued to tick on. The world was likely bracing itself for a story of horror and loss, but we all underestimated the resilience of these kids and the impact of their indigenous experiences. On May 30th, 
the energy was restored to the searchers because they found some footprints that they believe belonged to the 13-year-old Leslie. During their combing through the jungle, they also found things that indicated the kids were still out and about, including some diapers, a baby bottle, some baby shoes, also some partially eaten fruit. And so that helped restore their faith that they were on the right path. Surviving the Amazon is obviously not just a walk in the park. It's like mastering a whole new set of rules. From the relentless humidity as described and the swarms of insects to dense undergrowth with lurking predators, every step of this untamed wilderness is a test of wits and resilience. I'd like to share a few things that I want you to consider as I'm telling you the remainder of this tale and some of the risks you may not have been thinking about if you're considering the Amazon or children surviving in it for 40 days. This might be a little bit of a digression, and so if you're not interested in this topic, you can go ahead and fast forward this section. But of course, the animals, there's a lot of predatorial animals in the Amazon. So the first thing that I came across was the green anaconda snake, which is 30 feet long and weighs 500 pounds. That's a big snake. Yeah, I know. I thought that grizzly bears were something to be afraid of, but this might top grizzly bears. It hangs out in the Amazon River and it just waits stealthily for a moment of opportunity and then it grabs its prey and strangles it to death. No venom, right? So these things can overcome jaguars, wild pigs, deer, and occasionally humans. What do you think? Would you rather be killed by snake venom, a bite, or strangled? A bite for sure. I think. <laughs> I think so too. Might be might be more drawn out, but might be less uh, disturbing. Yeah, disturbing either way. Okay, so the next thing that I found about the Amazon animals that are creepy are red belly piranhas. And I didn't really ever think much about piranhas, but apparently they go on these feeding frenzies where a bunch of them group up and strip all the flesh from the bones of a prey in minutes. I'm their scavengers and they rarely go after humans. You know, I spent a little time in the Amazon in college in Ecuador, but on a semester abroad program. Yeah, I can't remember exactly where we were, but we were in the Ecuadorian Amazon and we bathed in a river. It wasn't the Amazon River, but it was a tributary. And piranhas were nibbling on our legs. It was like a little tickle, but they were definitely piranhas. So they weren't after us, but we could feel them just checking us out. We were in, we bathed and we were out. You didn't give them extra opportunity. No, no, we were all business with those piranhas. But yeah, I believe what you're saying didn't seem to be interested in us as a food source. The native folks that we were hosted by there kind of, it was part of their daily routine. They didn't even think twice about it. It's just because we hear all these scary stories about things and have a natural fear sometimes. Um, yeah. The next one is the electric eel. Have you ever heard of these things before? Maybe in a zoo. Yeah. Or on like um, the little mermaid, Flotsam and Jetsam. All right. Yeah. So this thing is capable of generating a massive 600 volts of electricity, which is greater than the standard wall outlet. It usually uses way less electricity to kill its prey. Um, humans are obviously avoiding this creature. It can shock you apparently up to eight hours after it's already died. 
Wow. So there are bull sharks in the Amazon, which I didn't know about this, but they're up to 11 feet long and can weigh up to 700 pounds. They can live in both fresh and salt water. And this creature eats dolphin sloths and sometimes it even eats other bull sharks because they're incredibly territorial. There are many, many other types of snakes, as you can imagine, that are poisonous. Um, one other thing that I thought was interesting was that the bullet ant. Have you ever heard of this thing before? No. Doesn't sound friendly, though. It's not. Can you wager any bets on why it's called bullet ant? It must, like, eject something. <laughs> I don't know how or... That's my guess. No, actually. Okay. So it's over an inch long and a bite from these ants creates such a horrible pain. It's apparently a four on the Schmidt sting index, which I didn't even know was a thing. I'm guessing a four is high on the Schmidt index. <laughs> it's so painful that people compare the experience to being shot. And that's why it's called a bullet ant. Got it. Okay. Apparently they don't kill you, but you might wish that you were dead if you get bit by a, a bullet ant. So beyond these interesting and terrifying creatures in the Amazon, there's even more risks, including difficult terrain with dense vegetation, flowing rivers, steep slopes, obviously diseases like malaria and yellow fever. Also, there's illegal activity, including drug trafficking, illegal logging, mining, and hunting, putting the odds against anyone who finds themselves lost here. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So... I'm assuming you didn't have too many terrible experiences in the Amazon when you were there, Julie. Well, I did have my own survival story, true survival story, but I don't think it's going to be as dramatic as the one you're going to share. I was backpacking from the place we were staying in the Ecuadorian Amazon to the Peruvian border, and I slipped on a wet log and dislocated my patella carrying a heavy pack and had to hike out with this partially usable knee injury, partially unusable knee injury, but I survived. In my imagination, what would make that so much worse is if you were stumbling around and some snake took it upon itself to make an opportunity of your unfortunate situation. Thankfully yeah. that did not happen, Julie. Yes. I did not have too many close encounters with critters. The piranhas are the only one that kind of stands out in my mind. <laughs> well, that's probably a good thing. We can only imagine what those kids were going through. In details that came to us after the discovery of the children, we learned that the children's mother survived for four days following the crash and ultimately perished. The father of the two younger children was not the father of the older two children, and he told the media outlets that the children's mother actually told them to leave the site. 
Gosh, that's so tough. That's so awful. I know. I cannot even imagine that. So much stuff these kids went through. The kids left the crash site also to find food and water, but I would imagine that leaving dead bodies would be a good idea since there are scavenging animals in the jungle. I don't know if that was contributing to their thought process. Yeah, or their mom's thought process. Right. 13-year-old Leslie fed the 11-month-old Kristen baby formula that she removed from the plane and later gave her water with cassava flour when the formula ran out. The remainder of the children survived by eating the cassava flour from the plane, and they had initially six pounds. When they ran out of that, they consumed some seeds. They also had knowledge about rainforest fruits that were safe to eat. There's an anthropologist that lived with the family and studied the family and stated that the children were well prepared to forage in the jungle because that's where they were raised. And she said on NPR's morning edition that they're always climbing and running in the trees of the jungle. She also said that the fruit the children were eating was called wansoko, a fruit that's similar to passion fruit. The seeds they found are known as milpeso, and these seeds are full of vitamins and oils. Miraculously, they also found a box of the food that was airdropped by the army. Yay. Right? I wonder what was in that box and what that was like, that experience of opening it. It must have been like Christmas morning. Yeah, or better. Hopefully it wasn't full of cassava flour. <laughs> I hope it had like one chocolate bar in there. Oh, yeah. I hope it had all kinds of junk food for those kids. <laughs> she does. <laughs> Be really like Christmas morning. Oh, yeah. I'm sure that was very exciting for them. These kids were pretty resourceful. And when I was reading through all of these articles, I was just thinking about what my kids would have done if they were in this situation. Because these kids, they grabbed everything that they could take from the airplane that could help them in any way. And some of those items included a mosquito net and a plastic tarp. So those things, I would imagine, could make or break the potential that they could stay alive out there. So at night, what they were doing, they were layering the mosquito net with um, banana leaves. And I think they were sandwiching themselves between the mosquito net and the tarp on the bottom. Okay. I was just thinking, my kids can't even remember their sweatshirts when it's time to leave the house. Exactly. Their school snack for to take in their backpack. Right. And you have to think like with the age just for these kids, I bet so much of this um, smart decision-making and thoughtful approach was this 13-year-old Leslie. I bet she was the, that was holding these kids together, just, you know, knowing how kids behave at those different ages. Right. And she probably had a lot of experience being the person in charge anyway, because that's just the way things tend to go when you're the oldest sibling, especially if you're a girl, I think, is that you're sort of the second in line. Right. Yep. She, I'm sure, had years of experience. And the children's uncle mentioned that they avoided predators and insects by hiding in tree trunks. My husband and I were just talking about what our kids would do in a situation like this. Not like I would be the first person to survive this situation, because obviously there's a lot of things that could get in between you and survival. The other thing I was thinking about was the way that the father must have been feeling this whole time his kids are out in the jungle. Just that longing and anticipation and the fear yeah or just not knowing how much hope especially a month later how much hope to hold when to kind of expect the worst right 
The massive search operation involving the Colombian army and indigenous trackers and volunteers continued. The lead man on the job, Army Lieutenant Colonel Oscar Garzon, stated, quote, we are not losing hope because we know they are alive. That was the task. Sounds like a lot of really positive resolve on the part of the rescuers. Totally. Despite the statement of dedication and the motivation of the teams looking for the children, the search was a difficult one for Army members and Indigenous volunteers. One volunteer named Alberto Acosto said it was tough going. He spent 19 days in the rainforest helping with the search. He mentioned that they saw deer, small tigers, and many snakes. In an effort to find the kids, some of these indigenous groups took an ayahuasca brew made from jungle plants in hopes of having visions that would guide them towards the children. Yeah, I can understand that. I think that's a part of their culture. Right. Did they have the visions? I didn't see anything that indicate that they had visions that directly aided in finding them, but I'm sure it didn't hurt anything. Yeah. Use your resources. Right. The children ultimately were found by a Belgian shepherd dog named Wilson. The dog joined them in the last few days while they were out there, giving the kids hope because they knew that somebody was close. Then finally on day 40, they were found by the human search party in a small clearing that was three miles away from the original crash site. And what was crazy about this is that the rescue crews had already been in that area two times previously, and they predicted it was about 70 to 170 feet away from the kids, which is wild. Yeah, I can't imagine a more challenging terrain thing because there's just so much. I mean, everywhere you turn or look up, look down, look left, look right, there's vegetation and things that are going to obscure your ability to see what you're looking for. It's like a real life Where's Waldo. Exactly. I thought it was really sad because after the children were rescued, this dog Wilson was separated from the group and became lost and later search efforts were in place to find him. I don't know if they ever did discover him. He, yeah. He was part of the search crew. He was like a search dog. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That is sad. I hope they found no. the children's grandfather stated that Wilson became their faithful friend before their rescue. Yeah. So following the rescue, the children were airlifted to a military hospital in Bogota, Colombia. They were already eating a little bit after two days or stay there. Um, they were all exhausted, but showing quick signs of recovery and moving around and spending some time drawing. And they were in surprisingly good condition considering they had, of course, malnutrition, dehydration, but there wasn't any mention of other ailments. While they're hospitalized, incense was burned outside the hospital in a ceremony by some indigenous community members as a way of giving thanks for the rescue of the children. The coordinator of the Indigenous Guard, Luis Acosta, stated that the children were discovered as a result of a combination of ancestral wisdom and Western wisdom between military technique and traditional technique. That's such a cool blending and union, um, yeah, communities. And you have to wonder if that would have been the case if we weren't talking about children. There's just something about children that plays to everyone's soft spots, I think. Yeah, nobody's going to decline an opportunity to be a part of that search and be involved in trying to save those kids. Right. Human nature. Unfortunately, shortly after the rescue, 
a battle ensued for legal custody of the children. The grandparents made an appeal to take the children, but they're up against the father of the two youngest children. And family court is going to ultimately have to make that decision, which I cannot imagine how that would add to the general stress following everything else that they've already endured. Right. Well, hopefully they're protected from that stress and let the adults fight that one out as much can. And hopefully the kids get to stay together too. Yep. Um, the leader of the search operation, Sanchez, stated that the children knew, quote, how to survive in the jungle, how to eat, how to drink, stay against the hostile jungle, and how to protect from the rain because 16 hours a day, it's only rain. An official told reporters that the jungle was in harvest in terms of the available food resources there. So that was pretty fortunate as well. It was a good time of year to get lost, I guess. Right. Or for uh, to be in a plane crash. <laughs> Good time of year. An expert in biodiversity in the Amazon, Carlos Perez, stated that finding enough high quality food, building shelters and keeping away from harm for 40 days and night in a remote area of the Colombian Amazon would be a challenge for most adult Westerners, never mind three children younger than 12 carrying an 11 month old baby. I think it would be a way bigger challenge for an adult Westerner than... Um you know, kids that grew up in that environment. I mean, the 11 year, 11 month old baby aside, that is a definite extra added challenge, but yeah, thank goodness those kids were familiar with that terrain and environment and the hazards and the food sources. Yeah. I honestly don't think there's any way humanly possible that any of us adults from the Western world would survive for 40 days. I mean, maybe four days, but 40 days is a very long time. Right. And the other thing too, the other thing that came up in a couple or at least one place was the fact that these kids, they've spent most of their lives in the jungle. So they are used to some things that we wouldn't be used to. For example, some of the pathogens may be in the water source where they can drink that water. It's not going to make them sick. If we drink that water, we might have horrible vomiting and diarrhea and dive dehydration, you know? So there's yeah. other adaptations that would have made a big impact. At a news conference on June 9th, Colombia's president, Gustavo Petro, stated, quote, they themselves are an example of survival that will go down in history. Today, those children are the children of peace and the children of Colombia. The father of Tian and Kristen referred to the children's safe return as a miracle of God. It does seem like a miracle. It does. I think that we can agree this story is either inspiring because of what these kids were able to persevere through, or it kind of makes me feel like a failure as a parent because sometimes I wonder if my kids can make themselves a peanut butter sandwich. I hear you. I think we all navigate different challenges in our environments, and there's definitely energy that we put in our parenting towards things that probably these kids don't have to worry about and vice versa. Right. In conclusion, these children had to be incredibly clever, patient and skillful to survive that ordeal that included a terrifying plane crash, the death of their mother, 40 days wet and alone to be rescued and now finding themselves in a custody battle. But that's a lot. That takes some serious resilience. Yeah, fortunately, kids are resilient. You know, I think kids are maybe 
I won't say bounce back, but at least uh, respond to those kind of back-to-back challenges. Right, I think they're just a little bit more flexible than we are. Right. They also, it sounded like they had a supportive community and a family network that can help them kind of brace through some of those challenges after the fact. That's great, that's what they'll need. Right. So again, to reiterate what we said before, I find it really heartwarming that an event such as this one had a way of bringing people together for a common good um, on a mission the rescuers called Operation Hope. Oh, that's a good name. 40 Days of Hope. It's a lot of hope. Yeah, it is a lot of hope and it paid off. I'd be curious to hear about these kids, you know, 20 years from now or 10 years from now, or, you know, follow their story as they grow up into adulthood and learn more about the experience and how that kind of shapes them. Yeah. I wonder if they're spending any time in more developed communities or if they'll be spending most of their time in the indigenous community. And that might somewhat be dependent upon the custody situation. Right. Exactly. Their future could look very different from their past since they lost their mom. Right. And we're in the process of moving. So that kind of sums up our episode today. Thanks listeners for tuning into another episode of the Crux True Survival Stories. We would love to invite you to subscribe, rate, and share the podcast. Another great way of helping us out is to share our Instagram posts at the Crux Podcast for any story you enjoy and share that on your Instagram stories. Our Instagram is another great way of contacting us. Thanks for your support and for being part of our community. We love all of you for taking time to listen. If you're interested about our source material, just an FYI for now, I'm going to post it in the episode descriptions if you want to know. And I hope you have a fabulous week. And until next time, stay safe out there. Thank you.